Milwaukee Journal Sentinel Milwaukee Brewers podcast joining you to kick off a week where the Milwaukee Brewers have uh, have been at it playing spring training games for a while now. We've had a chance to see the team play. Those uh those beautiful pictures of of bright green grass have us thinking about the end of uh, end of winter here. My name is J.R. Radcliffe, host of the podcast and on the other line is Tom Hodricourt, Brewers beat reporter for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. He is in Arizona, taking it all in. Tom, uh, it's we're getting a warm up here this week, and we're pretty excited about fifty, almost sixty degree temperatures. I'm guessing you're already seeing a little bit better than that where you are right now. Yeah, amazingly, um, Jr. I arrived um, from what's been the warmest stretch. You know, I didn't come at the start for some various reasons, but um, when I did get here, they. Uh, they upticked into the 80s for a couple of days, and uh, I was told that you know it mostly been 70s uh, and some 60s uh, prior to that. So hmm. it looks like I got here uh, for their first warm stretch of the spring. It's supposed to calm back down, I think, into the 60s and 70s later in the week. But uh, yeah, very warm here now, and so uh, no complaints about that. Uh, jealousy consumes me. The uh, The biggest story that we haven't talked about on the podcast is the Brewers signing Jackie Bradley Jr. That's not official official just yet. The Brewers haven't announced it, but uh, we uh, have tons of reports that uh, that it, it's going to happen, that it's going to be a two-year deal or rather a one-year deal with a, a player option uh, for $24 million collectively. Uh, interesting move. The Brewers have made moves. Well, actually, actually, JR, not a player option. It's a, it's a two-year deal with a player opt out after one year got it um so a little bit different um he, he can opt out but if he doesn't it's a two-year deal um you know it's it's um the team has offered him two years yeah <laughs> and so they'll see if he wants to stay with him two years he's uh he's covered himself either way and what's been a, yet another weird you know free agent market so uh yeah so we'll see i i to me, you know, his, his agent, Scott Boris, um, the Brewers have done business with him in the past, in particular, Mark Atanasio and, and Boris have a good relationship. They both live out in L.A. Um, and so and, and this is um, the second time they've signed a Boris client during spring training. Remember Kyle Loach? Absolutely. Um, yeah. I want to say 2015 or 13. Um, and that was no, in late yeah. March. That was at the end of March. Yeah. Yeah, that was a market that went real slow for him. So uh, uh, JBJ, as as we call him, uh, was uh, definitely the best player out there, uh, certainly position player. Most people had him and Jake Odorizzi, who's now uh, you know off the market as well, as the two top guys out there, one pitcher, one player. And so uh, I know it took a, um, a lot of people by surprise, but this is like uh, one of those mutually – helpful deals where the player probably got what he wants including freedom after one year if he wants it and then the team you know we don't, we don't have to worry about who the fourth outfielder is going to be anymore because they have four outfielders now <laughs> you know yeah so uh, and um you know lorenzo Cain is yet to play yet um after opting out of most of last year he'll be 35 in april his legs have been a little slow to come around so you know, they, they're just giving themselves tremendous coverage in center field. I mean, how many teams have two gold glove center fielders on their roster, you know? And so uh, so people always say, um, you know, how are they going to make this work? Well, they we've been down this road before with Stearns and Council and too many players, right? Absolutely. So, 
No, you go back to 2018. It's it's outfield as well. They brought in Yelich and Kane, and they already had right. Brett Phillips, Domingo right. Santana. Obviously, the guys they brought in were the marquee guys, but they've done it at other positions too. This is this is kind of operating procedure for them. Yes, and and you know Craig Council's not going to be the first manager in baseball history to walk into the general manager's office and say, "Would you stop giving me so many good players?" You know. That is a sentence no manager's ever uttered to his general manager. Stop giving me so many good players. Please stop. I don't want more <laughs> good players. Yeah. A, a, a sentence no manager has yet to utter and never will. So they'll figure it out. You, you, you figure – so let's say nobody gets hurt, you know, because obviously when people get hurt, then all this stuff works itself out. And let's say there's not going to be a DH, you know. Right now they're saying it's not, but I, I, I'll believe it. When we start the season and there's no DH. And then uh, what was the other caveat I was going to say? Um, those, are, those are the two main ones. Let's, just, let's say uh, no DH and let's say nobody gets hurt. So in other words, four, four into three. We definitely have four into three outfield spots. How would that work? Well, Lorenzo Kane's going to be 35. You know, he, he missed a lot of last year. I think they'd be very happy with 100 and 20 games from Lorenzo Kane. Very happy, especially with JVJ on board now. Okay, that would leave um, Jackie Bailey Jr. to 40 games in center. And, and I, I'm bare bonesing it. I, you know, I'm, I'm not. I'm just saying that would be like the fewest in my mind. All right. So now let's say they get 120 out of Garcia and right. There's another 40 games. You know, for Jackie Bradley Jr. or Lorenzo Kane to play in right. You know, although Craig Council said Lorenzo Kane's a center fielder, um, I, I'm not gonna tell you there's gonna be 40 games to be had in left field with Chris, where Christian Yelich is. <laughs> that that's not gonna happen. So, uh, but but that let's just say that's where it starts. And then so you know Bradley gets in 80 games, the other guys get in 120, and then. Who knows in game what in game maneuvering might happen, you know? And also, um, you know, Jackie Bradley Jr. is a left handed hitter. Uh, Kane's a right handed hitter. So there's just all kinds of mixing and matching they can do um, righty lefty, too. So, yeah, th this is something that they'll. I mean, and, and Jackie Bradley Jr. knew Lorenzo Kane was here. It's not like, oh, you didn't tell me you have Lorenzo Kane. <laughs> Shoot, I, you know, yeah. You know, he knew. He knew. So. Um, there's two years left on Lorenzo's Kane, Kane's contract. Let's see if uh, JBJ is turns out to be one or two years. But um, right now, you know, that, when you when you look at the two uh, the two uh, guys they added, Wong and Jackie Bradley Jr., you know, there was all this people were seemed so upset with the Brewers because they you know sat out most of the first half of the winter. Well. They ended up making two pretty significant moves. You know, those are two. And, and look how good this team could be defensively now. You know, I mean, they, 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 they've got four gold glove guys who've won gold gloves on their team now. And, uh, you know, they have some guys like here at first and, and they're trying Urias and short. This, this is the makings of a, of a good pitching and defense team. So maybe the offense won't have to be a kick butt offense. It'll just have to be better than last year and make it easier on them. So, you know, pitching and defense, those are th two things that's usually hard to beat in the long run. 
Right. The one difference that we've seen here than from past seasons where they've had, say, you know, Moustakis or Shaw at the same spot or too many outfielders going into last year or going into 2018 is that the four guys in the outfield are the four highest paid players on the roster, you know, on the, on the offense. Yeah. So, you know, it is a little bit more nuanced than it has been in the past. I guess the thing that when, it, when the signing first happened, I, I guess I thought the Occam's razor tells you the simplest explanation of how everybody gets there at bats is you just straight platoon Lorenzo Cain and Jackie Bradley Jr. in center field. But then Craig Council, as he was speaking to reporters, said pretty unequivocally, Lorenzo Cain is the center fielder. So that actually kind of surprised me yeah, a little that bit. Would, that, that, would get, well, that, that would give Jackie Bradley Jr. way more at bats. There's way more right-handed pitchers than left-handed Absolutely, pitchers in baseball. Absolutely, yeah. So, so, it's, so a, uh, it's just surprised yeah, me to see him be so, so, you know, absolute, seemingly well, absolute I about you it. Have, well, I think you... Well, the unspoken thing is until further notice. Sure, yep. So, um, um, you, you gotta say, you know, you, you went out and give Lorenzo Cain a five-year, eighty million dollar contract. He he does everything you want him to offensively and defensively, and then he does decide to opt out last year. But um, after one week, but um, you don't all of a sudden just say, well, that guy's not our center fielder anymore. When, right. You know, you gave him five years, eighty million dollars, their largest free agent contract in franchise history. So, um, it's, you know, you, you just don't dump on a guy like that. The thing that's, you know, we haven't got to talk to Lorenzo Cain uh, since this happened too. So, um, you know, until we do, we, we'll, we won't know if this is upsetting to him in any way. Yeah. You mentioned Cain and, and his, his, we haven't seen him yet because, uh, he's sort of working his way back gingerly. He obviously didn't play a whole lot last season, and uh, he's, he's talked about his legs being just, you know, not what they are, understandably, at his point in his career, but uh, he's still working to get his legs underneath him. There's a couple guys that are a little bit dinged up. I don't know if any of them raise any red flags for you or offer any reasons for concern. It seems like everything's very minor. Louis Sirius with a hamstring issue. Brandon Woodruff's first appearance got pushed back a little bit. We haven't seen Devin Williams yet. You've written about most of these guys already at jsonline.com. Any of them strike you as particularly worrisome or, or that we really you know should be keeping an eye on? Devin Williams would be at the top of that list for me because Craig Council has said that he's not going to pitch before the second off day in camp. We had the first off day today, the first scheduled off day. The second one is on March 17th. They only have 13 games scheduled after that, 13, uh, including two in Texas. Um, and he's not going to pitch. He, he might pitch back-to-back. Devin Williams might pitch back-to-back one time you know, during that stretch. So we're talking about maybe – six appearances, five or six appearances, just razor thin on anything going wrong being a big problem, you know. So he's the one for me. Woodruff, you know, guys get back stiffness. Big guys get back stiffness. You know, he supposedly threw the ball well in a bullpen. I think we're going to see him out on the field. Urias, they're saying, they're not even calling it a hamstring strain. They're saying kind of like a cramp. Yeah. So uh, we expect to see him back out there soon. So, Williams would be the one for me because they have given themselves no leeway with this schedule. And then Craig Council admitted that, you know, so that tells us. And again, you know, we don't have the access we used to have to players. Um, that tells us that um, they are being very careful for a reason, you know. So uh, and, and, the, and the thing that makes you nervous a little bit about, you know, a, a tight Thompson. Tight uh, time slot for him is 
he's got this crazy, crazy good chain. That'd be enough to get it up to its crazy good level. Yeah. By opening day, you know, that is a field pitch. So that air bender better be bending some air really fast. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. In the last, in the last two weeks of camp. I know it's super early to try and imagine this roster. There's a lot of a lot of injuries to come, presumably. A lot of you know decisions to be made based on what we see over the the rest of March. And at the same time, a lot of these spots are pretty easy to figure out because they're they're guys that were brought in or are incumbents. I I, I imagine if there is a fifth outfielder on this team, it's a guy like Daniel Robertson who can play in the infield spots as well. It's somebody not that he is an outfielder, but he is a guy who could cover them if for some reason one of the other four guys is, is unavailable or two of the other four guys are unavailable. A lot of guys on my fringe, you know, I don't know what happens to Tyrone Taylor then in this situation. Guys in the bullpen like Justin Topa and Eric Yardley who have been eye-popping for, you know, Yardley in the regular season and, and Topa kind of the regular season and really spring training this year. I don't know if there's room for those guys. If there is no DH, I don't know what happens to Daniel Vogelbach. I don't know if he's for sure guaranteed a spot on this team. Travis Shaw's another one. I, I don't know if you've even bothered trying to figure out who's on this roster yet or who, who the bubble guys are. But uh, but those are some of the guys that I, I don't know. Obviously, options come into play here, too. But I don't know if those guys are going to make it at least initially out of camp. Well, options are very important in, the, in their um, in their process because, you know, they don't look at it as a 26 man roster. They look at it as a 40 man roster and they're going to bring guys up and down, be it um, position players or uh, pitchers. They're going to be guys up and down. It's the way they do it. They do it. They, they always, <laughs> they, they almost laugh at us for making a big deal about the <laughs> opening day roster Sure, because they always point out it's the roster for one day. And quite often that is proof. That has been true. <laughs> Just as G man. Sure. <laughs> yeah. And there's been other like pitching moves too. So, you know, quite often that's exactly what it is just for the first day. So, uh, you know, they, they make a very good, very big point of sitting down and talking with anybody that gets sent out at the end of camp that they plan to have up and back on the triple uh, a big league show. Tell them, stay ready. Don't get your dauber down about this. Don't be, don't go down there and pout and mope. And then also you lose your place in line. Um, so uh, they're there and they have the track record to say that to them. And, and it doesn't come off as fa- ringing false because, you know, if, if a place says that I don't believe you, that's BS. They'll say, well, let's look at last year's transaction list, you know, and then all of a sudden, boom, there it is in black and white. Guys going up and down, up and down. You know, not last year as much because 60 game season, but in a regular 162. And so and they're so worried about innings for pitchers this year after only having to cover 60 games last year. You're going to see a lot of guys up and down. You're going to see timeouts. You're going to see timeouts. You're going to see, all right, this guy's not pitching this week. You know, and whether they actually send them down for 10 days or just, you know, push them off to the side for seven days, you're just going to see timeouts. I, I know they're coming because they're, they're worried about guys hurting their arms, which is another idiotic reason to not have a DH. You know, if you're so worried about pitchers getting hurt, do you really also want them to hit and run the bases? Do you really want them to do that? So. The, the no DH thing is just beyond absurd because it's everybody wants it, but like they can't agree on, you know, what you have to give up to the other side to get it. You know, it's so uh, it, everything has to be a transaction, has to be a swap. And, you know, you, you can't get more than we're getting in this. It, it's too bad they can't just do what's good for both sides and the game itself. But they can't. <laughs> 
No, that's frustrating because it seems like everyone's operating under the assumption that there will be a DH, but it's not for certain. So who knows uh, precisely? I do. I do know that the options thing. There aren't too many guys that I think are really where that'll really fundamentally factor in. Ray Black, who was out of options, he's probably a guy in the bullpen that you know has to make this team because. Uh, because he is he is out of options. Vogelbach's another guy. Maybe Billy McKinney, but again, they probably are covered in the and, outfield. Uh, and Derek, yeah, McKinney and Fisher, right? Both guys. Neither one of those guys could have been happy about the Jackie Bradley Jr. No, oh no, that was not good news for them. Not good news for them, I'm afraid. But uh, yeah, so so a lot of these guys are still going to be available to go down to uh, to AAA or, or below. Uh, one guy who. We don't have to worry about options with him yet, but Garrett Mitchell, they're simultaneously their, I would say their number one prospect in the organization and also a little bit of an enigma because they didn't get to see him at all last year after he was or after he was drafted. He's uh, he's a college outfielder, a guy who I think we could see in the big leagues pretty quickly. He's shown a lot of offensive polish in, in camp so far. He's hitting the ball very hard. You know, he's not going to make this team, obviously, but but maybe the timeline is pretty pretty quick on him. I don't I don't know if he's the type of guy we could expect to see in 2022, but he certainly doesn't seem to be hurting himself at this point. What what have you seen and heard about Garrett Mitchell? Well, and, uh, you know, I don't know if you saw the video. You know, I did an interview with him, did a story, and also did a you know post uh, posted some of the uh, video so that you could actually see him. But just what a great kid he he is. You know, he, he really this guy's got a lot of personality. He's very respectful. Very. Uh, polite just just you know got really good positive vibes coming off of him so that that's good to know you know uh but he's obviously very talented you know i'm happy for him because everybody that got drafted last year just got to sit around and do nothing you know what so it's you know we've talked about it on the podcast before and you know at some point in the future when we see when these minor leagues actually do start playing because they just keep pushing it back pushing it back pushing it back um, you know, the, the, one of the stories, developing stories in baseball is player development and just the hit it is taking uh, during COVID. And God help us if there's a CBA blow up too that, you know, yeah, you know, shuts down more. So um, player development is just taking such a such a so I'm just happy for the kid. He's finally getting to play in some games. You know? <laughs> right. Um, they didn't take him to the alternate training camp because they just, uh, you know, thought it was better to just let him, you know, work out and stay ready. And then the thought all along was, you know, really let him see a lot of action and then fall instructionally. But then he got a little tweaked a quad and, and didn't get to do as much there as he wanted either. So very interesting. They've got a lot of young guys, the guys from last year's draft and or and or international signings who haven't played yet. So we were were, uh, laughing at some of the top prospect lists because some of them have like three or four guys in the Brewers top 10 that haven't even played a professional game yet. Yeah. (laughs) Because you're rating one of their top prospects. So it's all done on talent, skill set, and projectability. But, uh, you know, and plus the Brewers get, you know, Garrett Mitchell say that, you know, he thinks some teams pass on him because he's a diabetic. And um, so the – the, the people that are going to benefit from that are the Milwaukee Brewers because you know they did not think he'd be on the board when they picked at number 20 and they couldn't call his name fast enough you know they love you know we've talked about this they love up the middle guys center field they've, they've got like 119 center fielders and shortstops <laughs> in their farm system 
and everybody always says, why do they keep collecting like shortstop centers? Because that's where all the talent and skill set is and all, all the athleticism. And it's, uh, it's stuff you can use to go get other stuff. You know, we've got too much of it. So again, no farm director or no, uh, president of baseball operations have ever said, stop getting so many really good athletes, you know, in the target system. Stop doing that. Oh, well, speaking of up the middle, the catcher position, which was a, has been a weak spot for the Milwaukee organization for years and years, suddenly is not looking so bleak. I mean, obviously we're still talking about, uh, Manny Pena and Omar Narvaez at the big league level, but, and this was written about at jsonline.com, the, the many catching options that that the Brewers seem to have. And, you know, you talked about the prospect list. There's a guy named Jefferson Caro who's on that list that we haven't seen at all. And yet they've got all these other options. All of a sudden, Mario Feliciano and Peyton Henry. I mean, what's going on? There's a catching renaissance in the Brewers organization. Yeah, they're really really excited about the group they have because they're not all going to make it. You know, that's just the fact of life uh, in baseball and player development. But the more you have, the better chance you got that some of them are gonna, you know. And you know, for a long time, it was Jonathan Lucroy and not a whole lot else of catchers coming out of the system, developed, you know, drafted and developed or signed and developed. And, then, and now, you can really dream on one day have all kinds of great homegrown catching. Again, it's just a daggone shame that there was no minor leagues last year that you know we we're having delayed this year because these guys need to play, especially at that position, you know. That catcher, boy, those guys come a little slower because there's a lot going on there. But it's just kind of cool to uh, think that um, if these guys can start, if the minor leagues get going again and back up to full steam, that uh, it allows them to dream on homegrown catching talent because, man, it's hard to find everybody. The the thing that the teams always talk about after not enough pitching to be found is not enough catching to be found. Why do you think Yadier Molina is still playing at age 74 in St. Louis? (laughs) Yeah, no doubt he is. Just re-sign on top of it. Yeah, so uh, you get to keep catching because there's no other good young catchers coming and taking your job. Yeah, this is true. This is true. I obviously the first few games, first few first you can't really pay attention to results or anything like that, but it was kind of refreshing to see the Brewers have a couple nice offensive performances like Keston Hero homered in the first game and they they had a 10 10 spot, a bunch of guys nobody's ever heard of hitting three run homers, you know. After last year, when last year they started struggling right out the gate, right at those scrimmages at Miller Park offensively, nobody could really hit the ball. And then that just stayed the way it was pretty much the whole season with a couple notable, you know, notable single game exceptions. It was kind of nice to see the Brewers just have kind of a normal offense, a seemingly fairly functional offense. I I mean, again, no one takes this stuff as face value, but until Saturday. (laughs) Oh, yeah. With a three one loss to the Cubs. Sure. They struck out thirteen. They struck out thirteen times in a seven-inning game, including the last ten outs. Yes, that was you know, not great now, against guys no one had heard of. But also, the Brewers are putting out guys who are third, fourth. Well, straight. that's the thing. Look at the box scores. You know, yeah. so you got you got to take, especially in early exhibition play, you got to take anything that happens after the third or fourth inning with a grain of salt, because there's not a whole lot of real major leaguers in there after that. So, Drew Olson and I, when we shared the beat. Um, uh, at the Journal Sentinel, and and uh, the Brewers would come out of spring training with a really good exhibition record. Some springs we would say, well, one thing we know is the Brewers' uh, backups are better than the other team's backups. Yes, because you 
they decide like 80% of the games in spring training, you know, so, and it's kind of fun in a way because you do get to see some guys, <laughs> you know, ha- have some big moments in the ninth inning that didn't used to, you know, that aren't used to doing it. So, um, but, uh, yeah, it's just, I mean, we're rolling over innings now. We got a great laugh with Brett Anderson the other day about his name popping up in um, box scores as a pinch runner, right. even though he never appeared in the games. So they ro- when they roll innings over, they have to account for, like, how did – where was the third out? The, the system, the scoring system, the major league scoring system does not allow for bogus BS like that. Right. Um, rolling over innings and so, so I don't know who's doing it whether it's the guy scoring the game in the press box for MLB or what they, they randomly just pick a guy out and say he made he made an out on the basis to end the seventh inning if they roll it over and our guess is they just pick go by alphabetical order because they kept picking Brett Anderson <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's exactly what's happening it's so and, weird and, um, and, and matter of fact we are, we really think they were going by alphabetical order because they did him for a few days. Then the next day it was Alec Bettinger, so they, they went like from A to B. So we looked to see what pitchers the last name start with C because they're going to be in there next. You know? Yeah. So I'm surprised so Aaron Ashby to... isn't in there. How did he get skipped? I'm no kidding. <laughs> so if you oh because he's actually uh, been in games. Oh you know? right, right, right. Yeah, you know, they're they're picking guys that just weren't in the game. Yeah, throwing their name in there. So um. You know, if you've ever read Brett Anderson's Twitter, he's great. Like, yeah, this guy's just got the riest, greatest sense of humor ever. It's so, you know, we asked him about it on a Zoom the other day. But, geez, Brett, what a bad base runner you are. You keep making all these outs <laughs> on the bases. And they're and, weird ones, like at third base and stuff. It's very strange. I know. He said, I know. He goes, I'm a very bad base runner, apparently, especially for a guy who's not even in the game. <laughs> it's true. It's so, true. so it's, you know, I had somebody, uh, I've already had people ask me about games that they went to because people are actually going to games now. Um, say, you know, why, how, do, how, how was there a walk-off RBI single in the seventh inning? Yeah. You know, it was only two outs. What? And I said, they rolled it over. And people go, what does that mean? I roll over in bed. What does it mean when you roll over in the game? And I said, you just, you just, just have fun. Just, you know, right. work on your tan and enjoy the game. I mean, you're at least finally getting to watch <laughs> in person. I can't tell you. I can't tell you how much just in the few games I've been to since I've been here because I got here late. Um, it does make a difference. It does make a difference that people watch. I'll tell you what it is. It is heckling paradise because when there's only 2,000 people in there, if you've got a leather-lunged guy that's got stuff on his mind, you hear him a lot more. And one of the outfielders even told us, I forget what outfielder says, yeah, I forgot what it was like to be heckled until you know, we were over in, in Glendale the other day. I forgot what outfielder said that. But uh, it's heckler's paradise because you don't have to shout over you know, in spring training, 15,000 people or 12,000 people, I got to shout over 2,000 people. And it's going to be, and, you know, we, oh, the other thing we haven't talked about, uh, JR, since our last podcast is, you know, the news that the Brewers will have 25% fans. Exactly. Yep. I was just going to ask about that. They've got to be ecstatic about that. Yeah. Well, that's going to be a little bit of a heckling paradise, too, because once again, easier to yell over 12,000 than 42,000. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, I know the, the I know a, a wet blanket was thrown on a little bit with the no tailgating, but the Brewers hope that 
you know, they, they'll ease up all down. And, and let's be really clear about this, too. These are not brewers rules. The brewers did not decide they'll only allow 25 percent of capacity and no tailgating. The Milwaukee Health Department told them that's what you're going to do. So and that's the way it is in every municipality. And I've been keeping track. And, you know, it's it's like scattershot across the whole country. The, the California teams, considering the, the large markets they're playing in, some of them are going to have fewer fans than the Brewers in Milwaukee because they've got more lockdown status out right. in California. You know, COVID's been worse and more people and so on and so forth. And so, um, I mean, I, I know a lot. Boy, how, how big is the scalping market going to be? Uh, although I wonder... I'm not that uh, I'm not that technolo- technologically savvy. <laughs> I think all, I think all this stuff is electronic. Can you scalp electronic tickets? Well, you can, can you-, you can resale them in a normal world. I don't know if the if the scalping is going to be permitted. There probably will be some restrictions on that. I have to think. Yeah, but anyway, um, those tickets are going to go fast. That we had a uh, 2,200 people um, yesterday at Cubs at Brewers. 2200, that's the most they would allow in American Family Fields of Phoenix, or as we like to call it, AFOP. Um, and I, it's my understanding they sold in less than an hour. Yeah, that makes sense. The ticket's going to be in hot demand, that's for sure. And yes, there may not be that communal tailgating in the parking lot, but there, I don't, I don't know what the weather's going to be like on opening day, but it will be no matter what. There will be the smell of bratwurst in the air all over Milwaukee. There will be little tiny pop-up tailgates for opening day. That, uh, that is not a tradition that's going to go quietly. So it might not be quite the same, but but people are going to get out there with their grills, I have a feeling. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you know somebody's going to crank a hibachi up in the back seat of their SUV. <laughs> Heavens, yes. You, you know they're going to do it. Yep, so, absolutely. Uh, and, and uh, you know, so the, the advice the brewers had was behave yourself when you get out there, and then we have a better chance of, like, more liberties coming, you know. They, they were, you know, to bottom line the no tailgating, they could monitor it to a point, but they're, they're worried that people just would not stay in their lane, yeah. <laughs> you know, literally not stay in their lane, and that five people would become 20, then 20 would become 40, then 40 become 80, and next thing you know, somebody gets COVID, and then they just never hear the end of it. Yeah. So, um, they, they're just not ready to go there yet, but um, they said they promised to keep an open dialogue. And if we do, you know, turn a corner and the vaccine program takes off and we get a little closer to some herd immunity, you know, they're open to let it. That, that'd be great if that's the way it works out, too, because as the interest level in the season progresses, if, especially if your team's in the hunt for the playoffs, and if they're slowly upticking, you know, fans in the stands, it would be proportional. You know, the interest would be proportional to the number of people getting ready to come. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah, exactly. Before I let you go, uh, since we last chatted, the Brewers announced uh, a couple guys will be back for their Wall of Honor ceremony. Carlos Gomez, Francisco Rodriguez, Giovanni Gallardo. I think we knew they were coming back even last year, so they'll roll that into this year since there were no ceremonies at all last year. Uh, We talked about the Walk of Fame before. There's a shutout again. That's the bad news. I think the good news, though is that Ben Sheets got awfully close. So I think he's going to end up, I don't know if this is like regular Hall of Fame voting where guys pick up steam, but I think he's probably going to get in next year. Prince Fielder's going to be on the ballot soon, so he's going to get in. So I think we're going to get through get to a breakthrough with the Walk of uh, walk of Fame, but, uh, but for now, another shutout. 
Yeah, and that's unfortunate. But um, I do like those three guys that are getting the Wall of Honor. You know, th- those guys all have really good places in in recent Brewers history. Uh, you know, to, and 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 you gotta love Carlos Gomez asking if he could please retire as a awesome. Brewer. Awesome, you know? so great. And and he told I forgot who he was playing with last time he was in. Um, somebody else, maybe even in the other league. Houston or something. But anyway, he told us, he sat down and he goes, I want to retire as a brewer. I mean, he just sat there and told us that. I mean, he loved his time here so much. And I'll tell you one thing, people better not sit on Giovanni Gallardo's career with the Brewers. You know, he's like top five in all their pitching categories. And that guy pitched for him a long time. And, um, and then K-Rod, you know, the boomerang guy, every, he just kept coming back, coming back, coming back, coming back. You know, without ever having a multi-year contract, I think he played here five years. I think he, he, has, he was acquired five times. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, we just, you know, we, we and he all, quite often would show up during camp, you know. So um, we never assumed K-Rod was not on the team until they started the season and he wasn't on the team. <laughs> he's like know? the DH this year. You don't assume right. K-Rod's out until he's really out. I know. And, and I get that, you know, he had perils of Pauline outings uh, when he made it interesting, but he also racked up a ton of saves. Yep. You know, and uh, that guy had two all-star years with the Brewers. So they're all guys that, that you know, that's done on a statistical formula and service and stuff like that. And they all earned it. You yeah. know what? They all earned it. Carlos Gomez is one of the most fun players I've ever covered. Yeah, Just cool. Tr- Speaking of gold glove center fielders, I mean, he was a guy who, who won one as well with Milwaukee. And I really like the wall of honor. I like the, you know, it's maybe maybe understating it to call it the Hall of Very Good versus yeah. the Walk of Fame being the Hall of Fame equivalent. But it's really nice to have that, you know, just excuse to bring those guys back who were meaningful, especially, you know, yeah. and it was J.J. Hardy, Ricky Weeks, and Trevor Hoffman last last time they were able to do this. And that was cool because, you know, they're, they're young still. They, you know, they've right. got young families. It's really cool to have those guys around. Yeah, and it me always means a lot to him to come here. When Prince Fielder came just for you know for the wall, like you said, he's going to get on the Walk of Fame one day. But when he came just for the Wall of Honor, you know, he brought his kids. They had a blast. He was happy to be back. You know, it was a you know you could see it meant something to him. You know, and so these guys are important guys in the club history, and uh, and it's neat that uh, they get recognized for that. So um, yeah, it, it's a, and you know what? I don't know how many people realize the Wall of Honor is a Craig Council. Uh, um, production. He's oh. the guy. He's when he was in the front office, he knew other teams had things like that, and he thought that you know the Walk of Fame, especially as exclusive as it is, just wasn't recognizing enough good deeds to the organization. So he he lobbied when he was in the front office before he became uh, the manager to do it. And so we can thank Craig Council that we have that Wall of Honor because he just he just said and. and, and what better person, the homegrown guy, right? He, nobody knows better than Grand Council what the Brewers mean to the community. He grew up with them, you know, and his dad worked for him, and he's a hometown guy. And so he's the guy that said, hey, you know, is there some way we can honor more of our guys? And so we have him to thank for it, and that's a good thing. I did not know that he was the the driving force behind that. That's crazy. That's a really that's a really brilliant stroke of genius. Jim Ozarski and I talked about it on the Bucks podcast, which you can also find the same places you found this one. Uh, same thing about the Bucks. We'd like to see it. You know, there's a lot of guys in Bucks history who are, you know, they're not raised their jersey to the rafters level, but they're really good players. They've had about the same amount of history as the Brewers, about you know 50 years of of history. And there's a lot of guys we'd love to see come back. And we're thinking, hey, they got to do what the Brewers are doing. Uh, but uh, 
but yeah, that's a, it's a cool thing. And I'm glad those guys are going to get a chance to come back. Hopefully, hopefully, uh, hopefully we can have some of the ceremonies that we missed out on here in 2020. Any, uh, any last thoughts before I let you go, Tom? Um, glad to be in Arizona. You know, it's got better late than never. Um, and it's just going to be very interesting, you know, to see how this team comes together. Obviously COVID changes a lot of stuff. And so, and, um, let's just see what rules we're playing by when we start. Yep. Sounds good. He is Tom Hodricourt. Find everything he has at jsonline.com. He's in Arizona. The Milwaukee Brewers are getting set uh, for the uh, for the 2021 baseball season. That is coming up soon uh, with, uh, is it Minnesota that they, that they kick off the season with? I should know that by now. I don't. Yeah, they play, the, you know, two teams have to play um, interleague baseball. Yep. And it's the Twins and the Brewers, you know. you got 15 teams in each league, so somebody's got to start that way. So normally it's, you know, that's greeted with a tremendous um, – Silence, <laughs> yes. To play, you know, but but not if it's the twins, you right. know, because uh, the, 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 that's a great border rivalry, you know. So if it, if you have to start with an interleague series for the Brewers, the Twins is, are the best choice, to, and and you know to get the interest, and then there'll be some fans there. There'll be twelve thousand people there. That they, and let's see if any Twins fans get any of those tickets. Yeah, that's a good point. Same with the Cubs. I was thinking the same thing. Like, if only season ticket holders are getting these tickets, I don't know if the Cubs fans are going to get in as in mass like they have in past years. But I never doubt the uh, the versatility of Cubs fans. I guess uh, I don't know that for sure. Thanks for uh, joining us, Tom. Again, find us on Stitcher, Spotify, or Apple Podcast. We'll be joining you on a weekly basis going forward. Thanks a lot, Tom. We'll talk to you again next time. Thanks, JR.